I'm hearing in my ear from the control room. Let's go straight out to the L.A. area around Garden Grove to CNN car chase expert Rob Burnson. Rob, what's going on? Nancy, an extraordinary pursuit in the Los Angeles area. It started in southern Orange County around Huntington Beach. It's now in the Torrance area. That's after it went through uh, surface streets and freeways into Anaheim, up through Anaheim and Santa Ana into uh, downtown Los Angeles, over to the South Bay. And now he just cut off the... Uh, Holy moly, did he just sideswipe that guy? Yeah, he probably did. He's been hit a number of times by the Highway Patrol using the pursuit intervention technique. It's called a pit maneuver, and he's managed to uh, steer his way back uh, away from uh, the police into the pursuit. He also at one point got off the freeway and actually drove down the embankment uh, through the ice plant back onto a surface street. He's been driving extraordinarily dangerously. Uh, there's been a number of minor collisions involving other other people on the street. It's Look at that! Miracle. Look at that! Yeah, it's, it's just a miracle that there hasn't been a serious crash. Here you see him on the wrong side of the road. Uh, fortunately, he had a green light there. The Highway Patrol is the primary unit pursuing him now, but now he is in the Torrance South Bay area of Los, Ange uh, Los Angeles County. And uh, you can see his extreme speed. Also, Nancy, it's the beginning of the rush hour, and everywhere he's been driving has been very, very congested. But why? Why? Rob, is he running for police? I remember when I was doing, uh, when I was in a theater, I was at a theater called ACT in San Francisco, and the man who, one of the men who ran the theater was named Bill Ball, and he was my mentor. He was very good to me. He was a great teacher and a director. And I remember him saying, you know, think of it in the long term. The, the, the work, is, it's a long arc, so you have to be patient. And in his case, he was also really encouraging me to study and to stay in school and not to, I had been offered a, play the Oregon Shakespeare Festival in Ashland, which was for me like the biggest dream, was to work at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, and they'd asked me to do something, but I had to leave school in order to do it, and he said, you know, don't do that, don't leave school, stay, and think of your career in a long arc, and so I did, I, I followed his advice, and I, I'm really glad I did. That's what you do, still think of it as a long arc? Yeah, I do, actually, I still, I do think of it that way, and, and uh, I just feel really lucky. I feel very lucky to work and to be able to do what I love. I love the craft. And as I get older, I feel sort of more liberated as I go because acting school gets further and further away. You could more and more follow what they were trying to tell you then, which was to just follow your instincts. You said, a man is not a necessity, a man is luxury. I'd like to hear it. Yeah. A man is absolutely not a necessity. Did you mean that to sound mean and bitter? Oh, not at all. I adore dessert. I love men. I think men are the coolest. But you don't really need them to live. My mom said to me, you know, sweetheart, one day you should settle down and marry a rich man. And I said, Mom, I am a rich man. Cold and alone, you awake from the crushing slumber. The air above you is a thick anvil made of precocious ice. It weighs upon you like haunted memories of the dead passed down through the mouths of dragons, trolls, specters, and one regal, bachelor moose whose mother frets that he will never marry. Your arms are packed into a prison of snow. And you hear the screeching cries of blasphemous eagles above you. Breathe in through your nose. And out through your mouth. Here, in this winter of your own making, you begin to face the terrifying thing that you've known all along. Will you admit it to yourself? Or will you usher it away, burrowing into a bottle of bourbon?
a strategy you learned from the elders during the great storm of Agalulak. Listen to the whispers of the wind kissing the vines. Breathe in through your nose, and out through your mouth. Inhale the gin-soaked scent of the conifer needles that spike the air around you. Stare into the great, black void of unknowing. Here lies the coil that you strip bare with pursuits of leisure. A hedonism unprovoked, and unwavering. Your quest for eternal pleasure has led you to this place. Ascending from the snow, shaking off your snowflake shackles, you spy an opening to a cave. Drawn to it, your feet crunch across the snow beneath you. Moving like a perverse gazelle, you reach the bald crevice quickly, and efficiently. A musty scent pours out from the stone caverns and triggers a memory of skipping stones upon a glass-like lake only months before the Civil War. Breathe in through your nose, and out through your mouth. Feel the relaxation of 1000 millennia of catatonic stupor wash over your body. From the top of your head, to the back of your neck, across your shoulders, and down your tingling spine. In this cave, you will face the terrifying truth you've long ignored. I'm going to count backwards from 10. When I reach 1, you will enter the cave. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Welcome back to another episode of the Humor and the Abject Podcast, UO, Wade, Mama, Those Friday Nights Loving Screedlers. This is Stefan Lee, the podcast studio manager. What a treat you're in for this week. Our guest is comedian, actor, and all-around knockout talent, Peter Smith. Perhaps you know them from the Bongo Hour, or Chum's Jubilee. Perhaps you know them as Mrs. Masters on Turner Masters Memory Hospital or from the stage musical Keeping Up with the Cat Dashians. Or maybe from a million and ten different comedy stages all across this fine city of ours. In any case, buckle up for a wild ass ride as we dive into Peter's life and work. When this episode is over, you won't be the same. Because you'll have changed. Got it? Okay. Let's turn it over to your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. I'm Ira Glass. Welcome to Jackass. It's episode 49 of the Humor in the Abject podcast. I'm your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. 49 episodes. I mean, wow. We're just one away from the big 5-0. And what a journey it's been. Uh, thanks to all of you who've been along for the ride. This is the first episode that I've recorded and mixed on a new laptop. Any regular listeners or just people who tuned in last week will remember that I had a coffee spill that fried my 2012 MacBook Pro. It was a flat rate of close to $800 to repair that device. Uh, that's what my Apple genius told me. I already knew that. I'd uh, spilled uh, Heineken beer all over a previous laptop in a tote bag with sand in it that got mud all over the motherboard. Um, but I, I, I kind of had that feeling going into it. it said flat rate of 800 bucks or uh, get a new laptop for $999 plus sales tax and Apple Care and blah, blah, blah. So obviously I uh, made the decision to get a new laptop. Had been carrying that one around for six years. 
it was about time. Uh, so big shout out to all the supporters on Drip. Your subscriptions will assist in paying this thing off in a timely fashion so that I don't get any interest charges on that fancy new Visa Barclays card that I got. I have uh, 18 months to pay this thing off. If I do on-time payments, no interest. So uh, thank you for helping make that happen and also making me know that you're out there. You're out there loving me, paying attention, listening to this podcast, and uh, learning about all of my very funny friends. Uh, Shout out specifically to Benjamin, Thomas, and Doug. Uh, Signed up on Drip the last few days. I see you out there, uh, and I love you. Moving on, don't forget, if you're in New York, please come by the Nada Art Fair on Saturday, March 10th. That's this Saturday, March 10th at 3 p.m. There's going to be a live Humor in the Abject podcast, and my guest is the actor, gallerist, and curator, Leo Fitzpatrick, whom you know from The Wire, Kids, Broad City, Sons of Anarchy, Gotham, Pee-wee's Big Holiday, a whole bunch of other stuff, as well as from Marlboro Chelsea Gallery and his previous gallery project, Home Alone 2. On today's episode, though, I'm pleased as punch to welcome a brilliant comedian, actor, singer, and pal, Peter Smith. If you haven't seen them perform live before, I cannot recommend it highly enough. We chat about a few recent shows of theirs that I've seen, but you can catch Peter live with co-host Sandy Honig at their show The Bongo Hour, live at the Slipper Room, this Wednesday, March 7th. I first saw Peter perform at a show I helped put together with Rachel Colley at the now-deceased Over the Eight in Williamsburg, and they completely destroyed the room. I'd been meaning to email Peter and invite them on to Humor in the Abject for quite some time now, and I'm absolutely elated that we were able to schedule it for this week. Thanks to one and all for your support of Humor in the Abject. Thanks to the many of you that I see on Twitter recommending the podcast to artists, comedians, and other people with an interest in that murky area between the two disciplines. Honestly, it warms my heart, and it really, really means a lot to me that you like the show. I spend uh, an unhealthy amount of time working on every episode from research and interviewing people to mixing and doing the sound stuff and uh, making little collages and things like that but i wouldn't trade it for the world i really love it Uh, hugs and kisses to all of you here's my conversation with peter smith oh that's just a video i got it illusion of theater plus film (laughs) peter smith welcome to human the abject how's your week going the week is going, um, it's a little all over the place, whether emotionally, mm-hmm. socially, physically, um, but here we are on a Friday and I'm ready for it to be over. Yeah. Thank you for braving the weather um, to come over here today. It's a uh, no thing. As they mentioned, we are recording on Friday morning. This will come out on Sunday, but very, very gnarly weather today. Uh, and where were you coming from this morning? I came from my apartment, which is not far from here. Okay, cool. And uh, where do you come from originally? Am I correct that it's Chicago area? Yes, I was yes. born in Chicago. Okay, I remember that from the very good Las Culturistas episode. Referencing another podcast. Oh, yes. It's another. sort of a, uh, an Ouroboros. Is that the correct pronunciation of that word? I don't know. The what? snake eating itself? No, but that's a gorgeous image. <laughs> um, and uh, so a few months back, I had the opportunity to catch a run that you were doing at Caroline's. Mm-hmm. Um, and that show, is it called Chum Jubilee or Chum's Jubilee? That show was just called Peter Smith. Okay. They, um, Booker at Caroline's saw 
my show at Duplex that I was doing called Chum's Jubilee. Okay. And then they wanted me to bring it uptown. Mm-hmm. And when Uptown calls... It was my yeah. first Broadway show. Really? Yes. Wow, I'm so... I'm going to cry. You um, you moved it's me. It's not Broadway. It's on, literally physically on Broadway. It's not Broadway. But it is physically. The address is on Broadway. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they asked me to bring it there. And, I mean, if you've been to the duplex and if you've been to Caroline's on Broadway, they're the complete opposite of yes. venues and environments and stages uh, and technical capabilities. So the show changed. Um but a lot of material was made at Duplex and then brought to Caroline's. Okay. And yeah. And shifted for that uptown crowd, you know? Yeah. Well, Caroline's has that strange room layout that I've only experienced one other time. And I think it was at um, that place in the West Village that's called, is it called the Blue Note, maybe? It's like the sort of famous jazz club. It's like a downstairs yeah. place there. But it has that a thing that I've only wide. experienced in those two. Yeah, very wide. Yeah. And like every, obtuse. Everything is seated for dinner. Yeah. Which is very interesting with these different layers. Uh so that was a that was a nice surprise. I'd never been to Caroline's. I just sort of heard about it, and that was kind of the reason that uh, that I you know went to Broadway to see a show. Mm-hmm. And I did see when we were going in, we had uh, bought tickets online, and there were just random people from the street who are tourists who know about Caroline's on Broadway who were buying tickets to the show, and they were asking the box office, you know, is this is this what we should see? Mm-hmm. The box office is like, yes, of course, of course, you want to see the show, and so these people were coming down, and I was very entertained by the idea of what they what somebody from you know wherever iowa or some other place florida that was the main reason why i (laughs) said yes in the first place i was like i need to i was like yeah i want strangers coming in here yeah i want these floridians walking down these steps and being like what is this and then me basically trapping them until they get their check at the end of the <laughs> two drink minimum two drink minimum yes you can get some food there too you definitely can um so the one that i saw had uh luna love mm-hmm. who's a burlesque artist yes kyle mooney mm-hmm. who is saturday night live brigsby bear um one of my favorite people Bo and yang mm-hmm. also performed at it and uh ben moss did the music is yeah. that correct mm-hmm. okay and henry uh, kapersky was on that too he oh. played for bowen okay great and so when you were redesigning this from the duplex to bring it to Caroline's, what, you know, you sort of hinted at it, but what did you want to bring into that space? Because my previous kind of associations with Caroline is, Caroline's is very much just kind of, you know. Standing and talking. Standing and talking. Mm-hmm. You know, real observational stuff. The, uh, the, the TV, the plasma screen that plays behind yes. the bar as you wait in the foyer to enter. I was looking at the lineup and things like that. And I'd say besides maybe like... Um, there was going to be a show for two dope queens. Mm-hmm. But besides that, it looked very much like what I thought. Um, you mean like 40 year old white dudes? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Guys who look like um, a bloated me. Oh, just like me no. with a little more, a few more years, a little more alcohol, some varicose around the eyes or something Definitely like that. But more alcohol. What did you want to bring to Caroline's? And <laughs> what did I want to bring to Caroline's? <laughs> I wanted to bring, um, I guess I, when they saw the duplex show and then when I, went to walk through Caroline's, I was like, well, what you want is, I mean, not impossible because you can always find a way to make it possible. But I was like, I want to take advantage of what this room has and what this stage has. Um, and I don't, you've seen Caroline's and again, the difference between duplex and Caroline's is everything. Yeah. The whole thing, they're a complete opposite. Uh, so that was a fun challenge just to 
try and make that happen. And then at the end, I was like, I'm not going to, it's impossible. You can't get the same feeling of a tiny dark room of 60, 70 people yeah. crammed together, drinking, you know, whatever. And then a big, gorgeous baby grand piano and then go to Caroline's with like a Argyle wall yeah, and the flat back, screen TV. The backdrop is pretty special there. It's very special. It really colors the performance. I know, and you can't... Well, that's why I was like, I'm not going to... I was like, if you want me to do what I want... If you want me to do what you saw me do, I need to... I don't know, like, put a full scrim over the back of this wall and mm-hmm. then set up a lighting plot and uh, get this disco ball working that hasn't worked in 10 years, apparently. And... Um, you know, a full production yeah. thing. So that was like, no, I'm not doing that because I don't want to deny the space that I'm in. So I made it a little more, I'm not, I guess stand up in terms of that aesthetic you would associate mm-hmm. with it. Um, you know, walking and talking and standing and talking. Um, but I wanted to bring Luna Love up there, get a little more sex, mm-hmm. a little more, you know, I basically wanted them to turn the lights down. The tech guy there basically turns the lights on for the performer, and then they go dark. Mm-hmm. And I basically just wanted, you know, a few more options to create a yeah. little more mood. Yeah, yeah. I'm a lot of mood. I guess lighting, the technical lighting for a traditional stand-up show is relatively straightforward. Mm-hmm. Flip it on, flip it off. Yeah, I... Comedy is so, I don't know, for a lot of it, it's like, you got five minutes, you got ten minutes, you got... Um, a half hour. It's like this, like there's this time thing and I come from a theater background. So I love a live show and I love a live show to be, you know, an hour or mm-hmm. whatever. And I like building big, long shows like that. Um, not with me the whole time, but I like a, you know, a lineup and putting people in I like building shows. So Caroline's, I still wanted to do that, which I was doing a duplex, um, and making kind of a little arc with the material and whatever. And then having the right guests that can come in and support it and bring their own, you know, crazy jazz, such as Kyle Mooney yeah. and Bo and Yang. Yeah, and Luna had, uh, was it a power wheel, I think, on the stage? Oh, yes, you saw like that a, one. Yeah. yeah, she bought a, uh, she bought it was an just infant's sort of, Barbie car. Like, a G- like an Escalade. It was oh, an Escalade. It was a pink Escalade that she got at, like, Toys R Us or something. It and just she, sat there for about 20 minutes without being addressed before yes, Luna on came stage. out, which was... Uh, I, I like a little foreshadowing. Well, she like wanted that. to come through the audience on it. And <laughs> there's no way. There's no. like tables everywhere. Um, you, you know, like my dream like is tier. like a, you know, a theater with a, you know, proscenium and there's a center aisle and then she would come down the center aisle with like somebody throwing rose petals mm-hmm. before her in this like beeping Barbie car. Uh, and then she like, I think she drank a 40 in there. She was like pouring. No, she wanted to come in drinking a 40 and then like pour it on herself and like ask someone to fix her car. She's very funny. And she very, very, funny. she's, uh, she likes the things I like and which is like, you know, getting a Barbie car and pouring a 40, you know, shit like that. She likes having fun. Well, it has a weird stage, uh, entrance dynamic, I guess there that I wasn't thinking through. You can't really come, you can't appear. No, you have to literally walk from, I guess like stage left. Yeah. You have to to walk from the back of the, uh, mm. Well, you yeah, you walk from basically the kitchen. Yeah, <laughs> that definitely changes the reveal. Yeah, it's a little like you. I mean, it's. I like a reveal. Mm-hmm. 
I like a lights go dark, walk on stage, lights up, we're there. You mm-hmm. know? So that also changed the show just because I was like, well, I'm not going to have... I mean, at Duplex, I was doing these like moody opening numbers of, you know, oh, colored light and just simple piano and whatever. Caroline's didn't allow for that. Um, and I didn't want to deny that. It's not a problem. You know, that's what the nature of the comedy club is. So I just tried to uh, not change myself to be a club comedian, but um, give the material that would be best for the audience, which is going to be my friends, people that like me, uh, that want to come see it, and strangers from Florida. (laughs) And they were my main priority, is the strangers, just because, I don't know, we do, we, who's we? Um, We Brooklyn comedians, we any comedian, um, a lot of people I think you've had on this podcast probably, you know, speak to an audience most of the time that has the same sensibility. Yeah. So to go uptown, head uptown to Caroline's where, you know, 30 or 40% are strangers who are just trying to get some mozzarella sticks and catch a show at the famed Caroline's. That's who I wanted to really make chuckle. Yeah. It seemed they were receptive. They were receptive. I, I wouldn't say that I was surprised because the show is very funny, but it certainly crossed my mind as I was standing in the area before he kind of went in and mm-hmm. I looked around and not to pass judgment on people, but you could sort of see, I thought, you know, these people are probably friends with Peter or some of the other performers. And I thought, now that person, that uh, person thinks that they're going to see like a Bill Burr yeah. kind of night. Which they didn't end up having. Peter Smith, the Bill Burr of... Yeah, of whatever. Of Bushwick. <laughs> I guess. I mean... <laughs> They then, but then afterwards, they are always most like uh, there would at least be like ten people who would come up and be very nice afterwards. Like I didn't know what we were gonna see. And <laughs> this was great, great, and great. And it's not even like the it's not even crazy. You know, no. I didn't put on like a psycho thing. They just hadn't seen. No, but if someone you are... I don't know <laughs> stomp around in high heels. I don't know. They come from places that that doesn't happen. And in, in New York, it's like completely second hat. Yeah, well, it's great to give them that experience while they're here visiting. Sure, uh, I might c- come back to Brooklyn and see a you know terrifying night at some bar, <laughs> but you got a little taste of it up here. Uh, one of the bits that you did, I think it was kind of the closing, was your uh, Nancy Grace bit. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, I also saw a. There's a video that you made of yes. that too, so I assume that you do Nancy now and then. Um, it's not anymore, really. Not anymore. You've retired Nancy. Just for this, she's she's on ice. She's on. she takes a lot of. She's like my. Uh, I don't do drag. Like I don't do. Um, I don't come as you know fully beat up. You know yeah. the face and whatever. But she's my. I guess the closest I get to that mm-hmm. in terms of like campy makeup and big hair and the padding and the all that jazz yeah uh, what attracted you to i mean because she's she's a fixture but she's also um you know anytime that i've heard her talk there's kind of some like just things that you're like jesus like a little bit exactly. cringy i mean she's a she's kind of a super villain exactly. in a way but yeah now that you're describing that the she's made up um in that I don't, I don't know where she's from but it reminds me very much of the kind of stereotypical like texas oil money woman she or yeah she um i I don't know. I love blonde women. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people do, uh, in the media. <laughs> and she has always, since college, I became really into her because I, in college, I went to school in the middle of Missouri 
And for the first year, I had like two friends. Like, uh, you know, I came and brought all of my clothes and was wearing <laughs> these outfits. And everyone's like, who the fuck are you? And I'm in the theater department. I wasn't even, I was in the journalism department. <laughs> I didn't even, I went there. I was like, I'm not doing theater. I, if I'm going to do theater, oh. I'm going to go somewhere else. And then so I ended up doing Nancy's theater. the perfect marriage between theater yeah, and she journalism. Was this journal, I was like, would watch her and I would um, like memorize her these like clips it would be like 10 minutes of nancy grace getting owned on television yeah i would just watch those and it's just like pure comedy (laughs) and then um arguing with two chains about marijuana and things like like, just like why would they even put themselves in this situation yeah that's like this is like (laughs) she has created herself into this monster but she's this like southern but i just i don't know she's to me this perfect awful person that Mm. Well, that kind of performance, that embodying of the person, at least what I saw was really different than clearly than just remembering a script or doing something else. I mean, it's, it's memorizing a script, but you're, um, you know, just to describe it and correct me if I'm wrong here, but you're essentially, you're doing a lip sync to her end of a news broadcast. And it was like an eye in the sky reporter following a chase Mm -hmm. and she's just kind of on the ground, uh, communicating with this person in the helicopter and the person in the helicopter is probably talking more because they're narrating what's going on, but mm-hmm. she's coming in with these weird, like what, 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 yeah, what? Uh-huh. like all these really like staccato weird things. And I'm, I mean, how does, how does the memorization process of that go? Because it's so hyper-specific. It's, it's very hyper-specific. It's, I like hyper-specificity. Um, it's like being the triangle player and, and remembering though, except everything's in an odd time signature gorgeous. and nothing makes sense. Uh, I, you just listen to it a lot and it's you get um you kind of like learn i don't know i gotta come from a theater background so i guess i trying to listen to the other guy you're basically like building a scene mm-hmm. with one-sided and trying to figure out what word the guy said to trigger you because i can't see the projection or i can't see the video right it's yeah. a video online of this for the viewers at home, there's a car chase happening in Los Angeles. They, you know, are taken, uh, cutting to this car chase, uh, exciting news, sensationalism. Look at this guy. He's crazy. He's spinning on the freeway, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm watching, when you can like watch the car, you can be triggered by, you know, the turn left at a red light that yeah, caused an accident or like a side and, swipe a yeah, moment of impact those things like but that. then memorizing what the other person is saying and then also have the video playing in your mind yeah it's a lot but yeah. i don't know i think it's I well the, it. the facial tics and things like that i mean that's what i mean that's what brings so much richness because in that particular one it's very much nancy grace responding to this other yeah. person talking and so you're sitting in front of this audience having to also like make sure that at every moment something that you're doing is interesting to watch because we're not, because you weren't projecting the video either. No. Right. It was just the sound of Mm -hmm. it. So it was all sort of this theater of the mind. Just her. Like if you were in the studio watching her watch a Mm -hmm. car chase, but you can't see the car chase. You're just like, Oh, should we cut back to her? We're just watching her. Yeah. There's another one that, um, I think it's with, is it Elizabeth smart? Is that the young woman who was abducted and she's speaking with her and you have a video on YouTube where you're um, in one of the talking head boxes kind of mm-hmm. communicating with her. And Elizabeth Smart is getting um, frustrated with Nancy Grace, sort of saying, you know, I, I don't want, I don't know why you're asking me these questions, et cetera, yeah. but you're playing Nancy to a T, but you're also like 
shoving a slice of pizza in yeah. your mouth during and speaking through that. Yeah. <laughs> that uh well I was gonna make a video I was gonna adapt the stage piece to a video of the car chase and then I there's a video of Nancy interviewing Elizabeth Smart. Um years after she was found, but Elizabeth is coming out in support of a bill. Um I don't know the information on the bill, but it's for abducted children, you know, safety, that kind of thing. And so yeah, she's, she's coming to talk about like an activist and yeah, and she's there doing that job, talking about this bill and not about her story. She's not there to talk about herself. She's there to talk about <laughs> what she wants to do for the future. And Nancy just keeps bringing it back to like, did they, I don't know, she's like, did they feed you right? You know, like really awful questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And does she show there's like I'm trying to remember like video of her and then she's like, You're wearing a burqa. What was that yeah, like? Yeah, it's yeah, like just like <laughs> it's these things where like I can't stand And that I, woman was abducted like a, a while a, ago. A, quite several mm-hmm. years. Yeah. This isn't like a Yeah, and so Elizabeth is now in this in this <laughs> mental place where she understands that Nancy, you know, is a sense like she has been media coached enough where Yeah. She's just like, I'm not here to talk about that. No. I'm not here to talk about that. And to see that back and forth, I don't know. There's, I can't, I'm not a huge fan of comedy that's like mean, or it's like, isn't this funny? This person's racist, but I am a fan of showing people who exist that are terrible. Yeah. You know? And so to present Nancy is complete fact, yeah. but the fact that it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And it seems like, I mean, clearly she's a self-constructed person. I mean, she's not, she's not a dumb person who doesn't know. This is wonderful. Can you hear the sirens? And I hope it picks it up. I like the, I like the real authenticity. Yeah. Um, those are fire trucks. It sounds like, so hopefully nothing bad is happening, but hopefully no car chases. But I think the, yeah, the thing with something like Nancy Grace is that that person is such a performance and Mm -hmm. knows it that to embody that and poke at it is, uh, I think absolutely fair game. I mean, that's somebody who's well aware of their absolutely you got to skewer these gals that's why i do caitlin jenner too yeah um who are some of the other people that you like to do i know i've seen you do annette benning yeah annette benning um yeah i like the mean people and i like the i mean annette benning isn't irrelevant because she's you know a hollywood whatever but she is someone that it's like why you like why do we what (laughs) you know she's not like a, a diva of the stage there's these like She's like, like a, a pretty... canon of ladies that people lampoon, you know, like yeah. in this like drag whatever world. And she, I watched an interview of her. Usually it's just me watching YouTube clips of these ladies. Yeah. Um, and being like, oh, yeah, I'll do that on stage, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I watched a video of Annette Benning doing an interview at her old college. I think it was that. But just really bad video that they had like you know, set up a tripod in the back and then another one on the side that was zoomed in. It's just this like two shot, I don't know. But um, she's asking, answering questions about the, her process and someone asks about her ask, acting process and she just doesn't have an answer. For it. <laughs> and she kind of goes off about like prop work. And I was watching and, <clears throat> pardon me, I was watching and I was like, you don't have an acting process. Or I was like, you're lying right now. <laughs> And I was like, that, she's just going around the question. And that kind of inspired my, I guess, wanting to do her in this sort of people asking her these questions. And she's like, yeah, well, you know, there's that. And uh, uh, yeah, so sure. It's like not answering anything. <laughs> and I do her, I do Caitlin. I, I don't, can't think of any other ones. I have 
worked on a Chelsea Manning, but I haven't done Chelsea mm. Manning yet. Mm. Um, and who else? Not many. I don't do it very often. Um, Chelsea Manning would be hard because I feel like my exposure to Chelsea Manning as a person is almost exclusively through Twitter exactly. at this point. That's why I haven't done her live because so, she's such a non-live yeah, person. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess you could type emojis. I was going... Uh, my plan... I had a plan to... I made it, I have a video of her that I haven't um, fully finished because it's not really anything. But I wanted to sing Born in the USA as Chelsea Manning. She's <laughs> like kind of an anti-America war song. Uh-huh. Um, and then I was like, that's kind of meh, not really anything. It's kind of one joke. And then I thought about just coming on and being silent and tweeting on the phone and kind of giggling. And I was like, that's also just one joke. So mm. I haven't really figured out the full deal yet, but well, it's fun to think about though. She's, that... um, yeah. It's very fun to think about how to skewer Chelsea Manning. Well, no, but how to make something layered so that it becomes a, uh, obviously it was made with a lot of uh, like love or admiration yeah. or just kind of like you thought it through instead of, well, instead gonna... of just like the one joke where it's very, yeah. that's a very easy thing to kind of do. It's like, also tricky to, yeah, I'm not like throwing Chelsea under the bus. Like no, I, no. I want to, it's like a, I don't know. I think of theater as church mm-hmm. and I think there are some people that get exalted and I want to honor Chelsea Manning in the live format. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's something sacred there. Well, to play somebody is to romanticize them too, no matter what. Exactly. It's just like to write a song about someone or anything like that. Um, you played a character in Turner Masters Memory Hospital, which mm-hmm. was, uh, I've had Stephen and Catherine on an episode previously when that came out to kind of talk about it. Fun. And you played Mrs. Masters, who's the, the mother of the uh, recently deceased titular character, Turner Masters. Yes. And the way that you play the characters is kind of mixture of, it's a really magnetic, uh, it's a really magnetic person that I'm also repulsed by. Mm. And uh, were you part of, I'm trying to remember now, and I, I had asked them about this, so I apologize for not remembering exactly, but were you involved in the scripting of that, or were you basically embodying uh, text that existed? Um, we met a few times to kind of, we had an idea for a live show. Um, this was when, <clears throat> I think Annoyance was still around then. It was a while ago. Mm-hmm. And we met and we were talking about this live show of like maybe what this town would be like where everyone worshipped this, you know, disgusting boy. Uh, and we were looking at like the, you know, these like lacrosse rape allegations, those types of dudes. And we were working on it and then we took some time off and then they approached me saying like, we want to do this as a play would you be cool with that and make a radio play i said yeah sure you know and they're like you'd of course play the mom that we had kind of initially worked on a little bit um but they wrote the script and so i read the lines but i guess the character was made with them but yeah had you I done a, had you done other radio theater stuff before or mostly stage because it's such a different it is different i did radio in high school uh-huh. i had a radio show oh cool and i love there it. an archive somewhere that i hope so i'm sure it's <laughs> so bad it's me and my best friend just like talking about bright eyes and oh. kanye and that's it i had one in college called the hours of power wow it was a metal show that Hell was yeah. on late at night Hell which yeah. was very fun to do but ours was at friday morning from six to whenever school started oh that's really that's wonderful that's such a fun time do you ever listen to wfmu no. It's like the the like hip kind of indie community station out of New Jersey, but really fun 
really fun stuff. But they have this guy on every morning. I think his name is Clay Pigeons. Mm. And he must start at 6 o'clock in the morning because I hear him when I get up really early. I think he goes until about 9. But he's just got this morning vibe. Yeah. And he, he's not a jerk. He's not a, he's not a schlocky, shock jockey, anything. Just warm, fun, excited about music, talking. And that's such like a, it's such a comforting thing to hear this person every time and just be like, I can always count on, I can always count on this. A trusty friend on the speaker. Um, but yeah, so you had some experience with kind of that. Some, the, but I do like, uh, I like voiceover things. I always love cartoons and how your body can be denied in a cartoon. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, I like that it's just the voice and mm-hmm. I like singing too and I like microphones and sound. So do you act out the... Are you acting out Mrs. Masters while you're recording this? No, or are you just sitting, sort of down, sitting and down and kind screaming of like at each other into a microphone, <laughs> making sure it gets every word into yeah, yeah. the, you know. Just turning the compression really high so yeah. that you can scream as well. It's so fun to do that kind of thing. I mean, it, you're like dealing with technology. Did you get to, did you hear, uh, it's such an ensemble cast on mm-hmm. that thing. Um, was that, was a lot of that, but so many parts were bits that were recorded here and there just between a couple people. It wasn't. They did like a three day. I feel like it was like a weekend of like a power hour recording okay. where I was there for a good chunk of it. Um, they scheduled it really well and yeah, it was like people would come in, do their thing and then leave. And it was fun. It was like a little open house of like, Oh, Hey mm-hmm. friends. Hello. An excuse to get back together. Yeah. It was fun getting the band back together. And it's always fun to, I don't know, scream into a microphone about your dead child (laughs) yeah uh so for anybody who hasn't heard that i've probably mentioned it multiple times but that was one of my favorite like audio pieces that had come out in a while and i think it was because i'd been straddling in between this love of listening to um folks talking to each other listening to things that were very funny or improvised but also uh really hooked on the narrative of like true crime things Mm -hmm. and this managed to land in this sweet spot in the middle where it was all of these things at the same time. And also I knew I would say a large portion of the people on it, but it was such a little world that I couldn't figure out who was doing certain voices, mm-hmm. which actually kind of drove me insane because oh, really? I, well, cause I knew who was going to be on it. And then I was like, who is, mm-hmm. who is this person? That's like, good. Yeah, that's great. It was wonderful acting. Um, but returning to, uh, maybe the idea of the cabaret and your construction of these shows when you do something at duplex or when you're doing something at caroline's are you sort of thematizing uh if that's even a word are you coming up with a theme or uh, an arc for a show and then asking people to kind of fit into that or are you doing something more traditional in terms of cabaret like an mc uh no i was making a show and then working with the people to do something that fit in or I mean they're they're like my best friends so it's not like I'm like you know read this or you know do we were working on it together but yeah and I'm sure you selected them based on the yeah I mean Sandy the context Honig um my best friend and roommate and collaborateur uh collaboratess (laughs) uh you know she's like I'm working on this I'm like oh yeah that can fit in here and it's just kind of a, a fun project for it was like a core group of four people that okay it started as going to be different every month and then kind of found this sweet spot of these four people that luna and sandy uh, were on it and they kind of made this like two sides of the same coin brunette same height 
same you know they're both pretty and sandy's this kind of wacky comedy gal and luna's mm-hmm. this like sex pot mm-hmm. vavoom bunny <laughs> um so they would kind of you know balance out this one half and then i would not really MC. for the mostly it was me and then i'd bring them on and they'd do there and yeah i don't really know what i'm talking about but <laughs> it ended up being thematic in a in a way i would yeah. build the whole thing yeah and is uh is the context of cabaret important like it's history in terms of what you do as opposed to all history i think it's important in what i do hmm. yeah all of it i well like you know I, art history i am an art history person <laughs> i do love the venus of villendorf and that's always <laughs> in me um yeah i like studied art history in high school and it really i don't know uh, that got me through high school near the end um and learning about the unfortunately mostly dudes making yeah. stuff um and then trying to find out the ladies or the you know whatever they want to be who didn't make it into the history books yeah. or whatever but i always liked that i think that i needed growing up i needed someone who i could identify with in terms of for the listeners at home i don't have a gender mm-hmm. and growing up in the middle west <laughs> whatever uh and it was what it was and so I think through movies and art history, uh, I found people that was like, oh, you dealt with this like 500 years ago. Yeah, Great. Yeah. We're fine. You know? And because they're so contextually about the time that they're made. And exactly. so you're able to see this kind of record of people who were doing things that were, you know, a lot of the time very avant-garde or very kind of challenging to what the norms were at the time. And I'm sure, yeah, that is kind of, it's nice to know that there are other people who, um, I don't know, it's like when I find out that somebody is into something, in, in the internet has obviously accelerated this greatly, but mm-hmm. to, to find a kindred spirit oh, yeah. in somebody is comforting and, and removes comforting. some loneliness, even if you can't reach out and touch that person or get in touch with them because there are centuries separating you, it kind of makes it feel a little bit like, oh, this is this is repeating itself. Like, I'm not, yeah. this isn't a brand new thing that I'm in encountering no. or dealing with or something like that it's like the you know the least brand new thing yeah um but it is brand new the way we deal with it or yeah. the way we see it or i think we're talking about gender maybe was that what we're talking about gender or i think maybe people's sexualities or their politics yeah, the or just thing. any like the labor thing. all kinds of things yeah, yeah. in but cabaret it, i i think when it happened in that peak moment um and like you know, Weimar, Germany, and when you think of what, when you think of the word cabaret, you of course think of, you know, Liza and all that jazz, but, which I love and worship. Uh, but I tried to make it relevant. Yeah. But not deny the inherent, um, I don't know, it's like big black piano and a big mm-hmm. black stage and just some colored lights and, it's kind of timeless in the duplex. I do love it in there. There's this like 20th century-ness to it. And then on the wall, there's like Barbara Streisand and <laughs> Mark Twain and Rodney Dangerfield and Joan Rivers. And then there's Woody Allen in there too, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> they should probably take it down. There's a photo, there's a signed photo of Woody Allen in a, a movie theater that I went to in Colorado recently. Really? They took down the Louis C.K. and Carolines. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm curious how that goes in those places, but that's funny. I think, yeah, there was something about, I didn't get any art history till probably undergrad, 
But I just remember kind of my instructors were, or professors, I guess you call them. They're not instructors of art history. Um, they can't instruct you how to historicize art. They're exactly. filling you in. But uh, there was something about these people that were so obsessed with all of these historical weirdos that I found really charming. And, and I really, I didn't always, it didn't even necessarily matter if I loved what we were looking at or even necessarily fully understood it. But there was something about knowing that there were these beats throughout history and granted, you know, who gets canonized is clearly uh, imbalanced in exactly. terms of who was doing things. But even as like a naive 18 year old to kind of think that there were these weirdos, like, um, I think it was like, either Thomas Cole or Asher Durand, like one of the one of the Hudson River School painters who mm. was going out west in the United States in this sketchbook and all these things. And I had this wild art history professor named <laughs> at Michigan State University uh, my freshman year, and he was pulling up images from the sketchbook of all of these squirrels and just like went on a like way deep tangent yes. about the like the artist's sexuality and how it was being expressed through like the way that these squirrels were interacting with it just stuff Hell that yeah. like i'm 18 and sitting there and i'm just like what is he talking yeah. whoa this is pretty like wow. i'm actually captivated yeah. this is this feels salacious mm -hmm. but in a way that, i mean it wasn't salacious at all it was just very matter of fact and it was someone's diary essentially it's being projected hundreds of years later and this person's interpreting it, but it was kind of... Uh, I want to see these squirrel drawings, these yeah. gay squirrel drawings. I'm going to look... I, I'm going to... I bet I can find what it was, but I was very excited. This was also the professor who the first day of class um, came in. It's my first day of college. Um, I don't know if I've talked about this on the pod before. I don't think so, but it's an anecdote I think about a lot because it was like my first moment of art school. I was at a big state college, but I was in the art program, and this was my first class that wasn't like math. Mm -hmm. And he walks in, and he's barefoot, and he's this like six foot two man with long black hair Beautiful. and like a scraggly beard with like a billowy shirt on. Oh, yeah, gorge. Um, walks into the class barefoot. It's a huge lecture hall, you know, like ascendant seating, 250 kids in it. Greco-Roman. Yeah, Art History 101. <laughs> jumps up on the desk in the front of the classroom mm -hmm. and everyone's kind of sitting there, you know, it's eight o'clock in the morning and heads all turn and look at him and he presses a button and this giant projection screen comes down behind him and he hits play and then jumps out of the way. And it's the fucking Zapruder film. Mm -hmm. It's the Kennedy assassination. Wow. And <sighs> he's edited it. My friend's recreating that as we speak. <laughs> By the way, sorry, just have to say. <laughs> he's he's uh, gone to the trouble of editing the, the video so that it does, you know, like now on Twitter when you'll take a photo and then you'll do the zoom in, zoom in, zoom in extreme. No. So you sort of see like the joke of like the person in the background, oh, okay, like yeah, that yeah, yeah. trope. That, yeah. He'd done that, but zooming in closer and closer on Kennedy's skull fragments exploding out of his head and Jackie kind of climbing. Just mm -hmm. incredibly disturbing. The horror. Yeah, I'd never seen the Zapruder film. I mean, we, the only internet was like America Online at this time. And uh, and he puts the lights back on and he just looks at everybody and he says, is this art? Wow. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? And then I roll, but then also nodding the head. Yes, yeah, you know, like, okay, here we go. All right. And then buckle uh, up. And then later, um, that same professor I saw at a house show in East Lansing, a punk show in a basement, wearing a dress, uh, seemed extremely high on LSD, just losing his mind, having the greatest time. Living. Twir just twirling. Hell yeah. Like around a mosh pit, like a dervish, but Hell sort yeah. of like in this flowing dress. And I was just like, this is, 
I'm really glad I'm going to art school. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm glad that this is... Teachers are crucial. Even in Lansing, Michigan. Oh, like, that's the most crucial yeah. where they need to be. <laughs> that is... Exa- I mean, if I wasn't in Brooklyn, I would be in at my parents' house in Montana, like, having people over for tea and, you know, telling about the old people that existed 200 years ago that we don't know about well this is what everybody's telling us now is that all of us who live in concentrated places like los angeles and new york that we're supposed to move to these um less populated or less uh not cultural hubs yeah i'm trying to figure out the vocabulary i'm not trying to be shitty about anybody who doesn't live in new york or la but simply places that aren't as filled with this because like i i do think literally that uh encountering that person when i was 18 radically changed like my perception of the way that like an adult man professor is meant to behave absolutely it just like really quickly shifted that in moments and it seems like i don't know i do like the idea of sort of like peter's tea house in bozeman montana well give me 20 years (laughs) thirty thousand dollars buy a plot of land a million dollars and um i'll make a gorgeous glass yeah so so you mentioned uh you mentioned sandy earlier who i just adore sandy's performances me too uh, and do you two do you do the bongo hour together we do, do at the, the bongo slipper hour. room yeah okay what's the bongo hour the bongo hour um i'm is, embarrassed to say i haven't been able to go yet it's well now wednesday at 8 p.m this wednesday yeah oh um and the bongo hour last year when i was doing chums jubilee uh and we were all kind of figuring out like what did what are we doing here what do we want to do what do we like what are we you know uh the bongo hour is i think the i would say not the grown-up because but the, the grown-up i guess the theater is bigger and the uh-huh. technical capabilities are bigger so i think what we were doing together and chums jubilee is now it's kind of cranked up and we have more space and it's a double height ceiling and it's more of a proscenium. It's a proscenium and it's just a different venue. It allows for us to kind of crank up the juice on the production value. Yeah. It gives you the, gives you the excuse to be ambitious yeah. or to kind of hold yourselves more accountable to like a bigger, yeah. a bigger venue and more capabilities. And that venue I've been performing. I, how did I even get one, a magician, um, named Matt Holtzclaw, who performs there a lot, who's an amazing magician. Uh, He, through a friend, saw a video that Sandy and I had made um, called Ice Cram. Oh, I've seen this. Yes. And uh, that, I think, was our first, like, collab, two minds coming together thing. Uh, And he saw that. you're a pervert, prove it. Yeah. Pervert, prove it. Yes. Um, Pervert, perfect, something like that. And... uh, (laughs) So he saw that and I went to the slip room with one of his friends to see a show that he was in. And he was like, I saw that you perform too. He's like, I love that video. Um, let me introduce you to the owner. And then the owner then invited me to perform on one of his shows. And there's kind of a tryout process there. The venue, he's the creative director's name, James Havoker. And he, uh, you know, he's specific about who he lets in there. Because it's gorgeous if you haven't been. And uh, he invited me to perform like a guest spot on a show to kind of see what I do. And then he invited me to be kind of a part of his house troupe. Uh, It's mostly burlesque there. 
most of it's about 80% burlesque, 10% magic, 10% who, who knows. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, and so I was doing burlesque there kind of in secret for like a year uh, in terms of not like advertising the shows. Mm-hmm. I was just kind of on a lineup and I was like the runt of all these gorgeous gals mm-hmm. who these like thousands of dollars, you know, sparkly outfits. And I just was like living this dream of being backstage with feathers everywhere mm-hmm. and still am to this day. <laughs> and uh, he then was like, I, after a year of, you know, working for him, I was like, I'd love to do my own show here. And he was like, oh, yeah, sure, let's try it out. And then I did a Halloween show, and that was fun. And then he was like, let's get something regular. And then Sandy and I have been talking about the slip room for so long, and I was like, oh, I got it, let's do it. Wow. So that started in January. That's really great, yeah. There's a, um, I saw a, there's a really wonderful video that I don't remember the song that's being sung, but it's um, it's your voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Sandy is sort of pantomiming or lip syncing to it is it like glamorous or is she on my shoulders in a large she's very glamorous and then the camera slowly pans yes and you're behind her singing Mm -hmm. into the microphone and it appears that you're playing the piano no ben's playing the piano well it appears in the video that you're playing the piano and then it pulls back further and you're just sort of handling a piece of paper that you're reading the lyrics (laughs) but it's kind of like i mean that's the that's the way that I think is really fun about a lot of the stuff that you do that there's not, there's not one joke. Like there are many beats and it kind of goes through this thing and like there's this reveal and then another reveal and then you start to anticipate, but the reveals are just like slightly weirder. Like I didn't know what you were going to be doing, but the, how arbitrary it was that you were holding paper and reading off the paper was 10 times funnier than if you were, I don't know, grooming a dog or something else. Like there's just something so I'm glad. simple about that. <laughs> uh there well Sandy I love her because we both uh end up I don't know like wanting the same thing but then you know need the other person to make it happen mm-hmm. but it's like a symbiotic it's a very symbiotic relationship where like I with, there's that song which is called This Is My Life I love that song and Shirley Bassey does it and I'd play it and they'd be like I've always wanted to sing this and then Sandy was like well I have this idea where I'm singing but you're actually singing and this is the perfect song and then it was discovered that this or Rita Provone who's this Italian singer that Sandy's obsessed with did a like drag version in the 50s of Shirley Bassey singing it kind of in blackface which is bad but it was like yeah we find these people in history that were obsessed with kind of the same things that we were separately and then we met each other and i don't know my she's perfect yeah well you do have the the symbiosis thing you i saw what was it it was i get well oh my gosh it might have been december but it was the off-site uh it's a guy thing the one at littlefield it's called the like not oh, our yeah, presence yeah, yeah. or something, yeah, 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 and yeah. the two of you were a horse. Yes, I believe with Alyssa Stonehaw. Yeah, yeah. In, in, uh, is Alyssa one of the Debras? Yes, one of the three busy Debras yeah, with Mitra and, and Sandy. Yeah, and Sandy. Um, and so there's a there's sort of a, a mental symbiosis, I think, too, but also that thing that is so wonderful in the history of really great, even like. I guess sort of like cabaret or even the uh, less shitty vaudevillian comedy and things like that is an understanding of the... No vaudevillian comedy is shitty. <laughs> it's either racist or it's good. Okay. <laughs> the, 
Well, yeah, we'll just call it what it is. The not racist <laughs> The not kind of racist of But kind of the understanding, too, of the um, each person's physicality and the way that they play off each other. Like mm-hmm. the horse thing was so fantastic because I believe it was, if I'm uh, mistaken, please correct me, but you were the, the front legs yes. and the head mm-hmm. of the horse. So very, very tall and regal. And, and Sandy's crouched in the back trying to keep up with you as you mm-hmm. parade around the stage. And In my mind, I'm keeping up with her. And <laughs> she's periodically kind of like lifting the horse thing like the drapery or whatever it is creating the horse's uh body and kind of lifting it up and kind of like getting a peek at the audience and going back on her and she's just got that grin she was doing that i didn't know that like that's so very tastefully like only when when it was evident that the turn was such that she was going to be revealed anyways went up a little bit there was just like a perfect little like dip under (laughs) and just this like grin and then like pulling back and people were just losing it but (laughs) there's something about understanding that kind of physical thing too like i i think all the time about one of the that was that was up there with when lorelei ramirez did i can't remember her um i think she and christy uh did an actor's thing at ars nova oh, yeah, and i didn't see that it was like a, a again it was like a christmas theme so it must have been the year before but um all the you know all the hits were on it. Anna Fabrega, all these different people, but um, Dan Chamberlain, I think mm-hmm. is his name, it is. and uh, Lena Einbinder mm-hmm. did like a Santa and an Elf bit that was to Sounds the beautiful. to kissing you that song from uh, it's in the Romeo and Juliet like Leonardo DiCaprio movie and it's like a really moody piano ballad uh, where it. it's just like I'm kissing you and it's Santa kind of moving about and Lena is the elf and is just sort of moving in front of this santa almost uh, it looked like a skeleton in front of like a a big bear i love it it was fantastic but Mm -hmm. that's i think i don't know i'm a sucker for some good physical comedy but it's so hard to pull off i think because it is hard slapstick's really obvious yeah but something about the dance between people who are very present in their physicality and knowing how exactly how they look on stage together that's very there's a cleverness to that that I think isn't there when it's just like, watch this person fall through a table, which I'll still laugh at. I mean, yeah, which I still would love to do <clears throat> every day of my life. Yeah, I can watch a super cut of Eric Andre running through his desk like 50 times. I'll, oh, yeah. I'll laugh every time that he does it. But yeah. there's some, why is it like, what's so funny about people getting hurt? I, I mean, I guess it's that, it's that uh, schadenfreude thing. I guess. But also, I remember I went on when I was much younger, around the time that I encountered Mr. Professor Doctor at Michigan State University, uh, I went on a date with somebody and we were walking down the street and a person was riding a bicycle and something, a cat ran in front of them or something and they're riding one of those big beefy mountain bikes, huge tires, comical bike Uh just to begin with. Um, Cat runs in front of them. They clearly are not like a, a bike all the time person because they did the thing that you don't do, which is squeeze your front brake super hard oh. while you're riding pretty quickly. Did a full end over, flipped over, landed in the street. There's that moment of terror where I was like, oh my God, did this person just shatter their spine? Um, and then they kind of sat up and looked around and this person that I was in, on the date with and I both just burst out laughing. And there was this relief in this other thing. And then I felt like, oh, we understand it. I can understand you mm-hmm. like this kind of thing. But yeah, I'm sure it's just a psychological thing about uh, terror mixed with like the joy of knowing that somebody is made of rubber. Yeah, where they can get out of it, and and that is the for me the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Just that 
you know, what's the border of terror? <laughs> There's so much of that right now, though, and it's kind of, it's fun. I mean, Lorelai, who I just mentioned, but a lot of people, the, uh, like, Alan Resnick stuff I think about a lot, the Wham City guy. There's this coupling now, I think, really intentionally between comedy and terror that isn't just like a... I think Get Out, too, kind of is now yeah. pushing. I mean, I think performance art... Uh, Unfor- like you know, I think Lady Gaga made a bunch of queers in the middle of nowhere. Be like, I'm a performance artist, mm-hmm. and I think Get Out now is for the best. You know, people doing like, well, I, comedy can be scary and scary yeah, can yeah. be comedy, and yeah, absolutely, we can say things with this and make movies about it and play with genre. This fellow that I knew from NYU just moved to LA. Uh, he's Jordan Peele's like creative director for his company. They went to high school together. Yeah, never told me this in the in the years that we worked together. And then I find out from a mutual friend, oh, you know, he's running, he's the creative director, of the, like working, producing <clears throat> the next film that Jordan Peele is working on. And I just thought, well, what a, what a dream. Jordan's also doing Twilight Zone. Oh, really? Which I love. As a kid, I watched uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved Alfred Hitchcock. I, I don't know what I, I think I would just recognize the like, oh, yeah, people are pervs. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Be, yeah. And like, this guy's a perv, you know, like Hitchcock's, I just, I dug it and I dug, uh, he just had this really specific taste and he just kind of rode that to the ground. Like unbuttons adults when you're a kid too, where you're kind of like, oh, wait, how how many of you are like this? Exactly. And it's from like the, you know, or it's early. It's like pre, you know, it's that time when people were supposed to be buttoned up or whatever. And so for him to be doing it. And just see the simplicity of it, you know, like the first go at showing people are pervs mm-hmm. in a pop culture, wide release, theatrical release venue. Um, I loved. And then I found Albert Hitchcock Presents and these like little just short, vin- you know, it was a different thing every episode. And then Twilight Zone, I just became obsessed with this short format, yeah, tiny yeah. short story, mm-hmm. short scary story thing that ended up being more effective than any um you know movie really yeah there was a while for me i got something weird in the midwest i don't know if it was on i get it really confused when uh when the wb was wgn versus upn but there was that channel triggering those letters (laughs) wgn yes so we got you know we got abc nbc cbs um depending on what antenna configuration we could get fox and sometimes tbs too but it was always like channels between 1 and 12 yes. i remember there was always channel 12 and i feel like that was the the cw or other it was a chicago station that we would get uh in northern michigan and i think it was on that but there was a show on saturdays uh i go to basketball camp i would come home i'm sorry it was fine okay. I, I liked shooting hoops i don't think i'm good at it but it was a fun thing to go to I would come home and microwave the pizza from the night before. We'd always have pizza on Fridays. And I would watch Beekman's World, which was a science show. Sort of like a a knockoff Bill Nye. Okay. And then I would watch thereafter a knockoff version of like an Alfred Hitchcock Presents or The Twilight Zone. Or I think more directly a knockoff of Tales from the Crypt. But it was called Tales from the Dark Side. Mm. And it was a show that was all, every episode was just a standalone you know, like a short little story about mm-hmm. these creepy, weird things that would happen. And that was so exciting for me. I, my, that 
influence like that format was a major um influence for i but not like sort of but my the chums jubilee thing i was doing at duplex i just wanted this like i loved the um i loved seeing in alfred hitchcock presents like the cast that would return and mm-hmm. he like had these actors that he liked and i love an ensemble cast and i liked that it was always called the same thing, but every episode was different, but mm-hmm. you ended up getting kind of a similar feeling of, uh, whatever he wanted, you know, fear or whatever, every time, but the story and the mood would change episode to episode. And were the, it was, so it was like a, there was a group of players that Hitchcock used frequently, but the, the storylines and the characters would be different, but yeah, you would notice this changed. is this person from, yeah. yeah. But it was always just, this uh-huh. is still Alfred Hitchcock Presents, but it's a completely different world that we're in, but we're being led by the same hand. It's an interesting way to get into thinking about the way that you would structure a show your interest versus something like the kind of go-to obvious thing, which would be like, oh, well, I was really into sketch comedy or something. I was into that too. Yeah. I mean, I watched Tracy Ullman and Three Stooges yeah. religiously with my dad on Sunday nights. But something about the more kind of the weirder element or the the inclusion of uh, the perversion or whatever, or just like a permissive yeah. space where some of that can happen or, or some of those topics, because even the, I think the sketch stuff that I grew up on, of course, probably hinted at it, but it was also a lot of it was super topical. So it was like the only perversion was that like Bill Clinton, uh, had sex with an intern yes. and that's like a running joke as opposed to like, and so it's like, look at this one instance of this thing, as opposed to something like that, where it's like, think about the kind of core of humanity and like a deeper <laughs> the kind big of question, the baseline that runs underneath all of us. Yeah. 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 <laughs> something I just, I think I watched, I know that I watched certain movies too soon. Mm-hmm. I watched Rocky horror picture show was the first movie I ever rented <laughs> uh, because at a party, I overheard my dad talking about it. Uh, and I was like, I th- my memory of it is like looking up at my dad talking to his friends or something and saying like, oh yeah, Rocky Horror Picture Show. I love that movie. And so I was like, okay. And then when I went to the video store the next few days, I was like, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Dad likes it. So I will watch it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the uh, the VHS said, like the front is just the lips with Tim Curry on with the uh-huh. legs. And I was like, this is triggering something deep for me. <laughs> and then when I rented it, the VHS was blank and it just said Rocky on it. Like the label just said Rocky. Uh-huh. Uh, and so the person checking me out, the old lady didn't question it. She was like, oh, you're watching Rocky. Oh. And then I went home and I watched it alone. I like put it in and watched the full movie alone. It was terrified. <laughs> terrified. It's a scary movie uh, for a five-year-old. And... But also terrified at what I liked about it yeah. or what I needed to see, mm-hmm. which was Tim Curry wearing lipstick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and unfortunately, that has colored everything I've <laughs> done since. I wish it was something else. I wish I watched a queer banker or just count money or something. So then I'd you know, be like, oh, that's what, I can, that's what I'm capable of. Yeah. But, I'm going to queer Wall Street. Yeah, it's just a, <laughs> what we see, unfortunately, is fortunately and unfortunately is uh, so crucial. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I feel like uh, I, I am still returning to the things that interested me when, as I am an adult now and don't feel like I need to do something for a class or for mm-hmm. something else like that and worried a little bit less about whether I fit into like a box or a scene about something. It's almost everything that I'm interested in that I've kind of let bubble back up is stuff that I was into when I was uh, a tween yeah, or 
or even younger stuff that I was exposed to that I was like, oh, that like that got me excited in a variety of ways. And so figuring like, out I'm, what ways and what at that time what you needed from it and what you didn't need from it at all. And yeah, I love that. Yeah, because I couldn't artic. I don't think I could articulate it when I was that age. Yeah. But stuff that was exciting then is uh, still exciting, yeah. which is which is great. Um, well, what a did you say that the is there a bongo hour coming up next week? Yeah, next Wednesday. Say? Next Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's... I'm trying to look at the calendar. That's going to be the 7th? It's the 7th. Wednesday the 7th at, at the 8 Slipper o'clock. Room at 8 o'clock. Yeah, with Bailey Nolan and Viva Sudan. Wonderful. And you collaborated, or you worked with them on keeping up with the... Well, yes. Kardashians, um, is that correct? We... I left New York for like six months, went to Texas to film a movie, and then I went to Montana to work with... Uh, rural trans people and figuring out what they need out there. And then I came back and actually Sandy got an email from a mutual friend who's a performance artist uh, that there was a casting for this Caitlyn Jenner role in a musical about the Kardashians. And I had been doing Caitlyn and I just made a Caitlyn video. Uh, and Sandy was like, well, you need to do this. And it was the next day and I emailed them really fast and went in for the audition and Bailey Nolan and Viva are a duo. Uh, they do separate work on their own, but they also work together. Um, and they're performance artists and dancers and costumers and all of it. But they wanted to do a piece about the Kardashians um, where they were cats, this mm. kind of feline, you know, undulating lines, paws licking, you know, self involved goddess thing. And they then met with uh, a writer of musicals named Tobley McSmith who works with the Bob McSmith their writing duo um and they're like oh yeah let's make this into a Cats the musical spoof with the Kardashians mm-hmm. perfect great we'll write it so it was half a Cats musical spoof and mm-hmm. half a Kardashian spoof yes and it was fun it was a, the best job I've ever had I read a I remember when I think this is this is a bit ago, but Rachel Colley, who was um, doing the Absurd Comedy Collective and giving like free comedy classes to people who uh, might not normally feel comfortable in those spaces, when I was helping Rachel put something on it over the eight, and Rachel suggested, "Oh, um, do you know Peter's work?" And I said, "No, I don't." And said, "Oh, here we'll check this out." And I remember looking at a few things, and there was a there was a Huffington Post article. I think with um, the two people who had sort of come up with the idea that you mm-hmm. just mentioned, and they said something about your audition and that they'd auditioned several people, but when Peter came in, they knew that they were the the only person for the role. Well, I I'm luckily unlucky in the fact that I uh, my like at that point in time I was like figuring out hormones and what was up with my gender and body and all that jazz, and I they had cast a bunch of, or they had seen for casting a bunch of straight dudes. And I went into the audition, not knowing anyone who was involved. I didn't know any of their backstory. I didn't know that Bailey and Viva were like queer as fuck and, you know, down for anything. And that Tobley, uh, was a trans man. who's the writer. I didn't know any of that. So I'm in the lobby of this theater, theater 80 on St. Mark's place and waiting with all these Caitlin dudes who were like wearing these wigs and, you know, laughing with each other and being like, yeah, I'm going to go in there and like do this golf thing and blah, blah. And I'm like just sitting there being like, if I don't get this, <laughs> I, that's too bad. You know, it was like, 
I was just seeing these, I mean, ultimately it was like, it wasn't blackface, but it no, was this I know. like I thing where I was like, there is a really specific thing that only could happen at this specific moment yeah. that I fortunately, unfortunately am perfect for. Well, and also you're going to bring a different, uh, a very different element to the, to the humor and the comedy that's going to be much more uh, real, authentic, and also probably a lot of empathy in it. There, yeah, the empathy was the thing that they were looking for. Yeah, because they, I mean, Bailey and Viva, most of their friend, a lot of their friends, were, most of them were queer or trans, and it was like these dudes would come in and just do these offensive, of awful yeah. things, and then I kind of <clears throat> blew in with my like Bob haircut. <laughs> And like my Uniqlo dress or whatever. And just like I came in without a costume and every, the other dudes had like, you know, some bullshit on dumb mm-hmm. wig and like lipstick on their face and smeared all over. And, uh, I think they were just like, Oh, I found, I found them and they found me and yeah. been pals ever since. That's exciting. It sounds like I'm, I'm glad that it'll come, uh, full circle with the, uh, the bongo hour. Oh yeah. I mean, we've been performing together yeah. for, I, I did a play with we yeah we perform together all the time okay cool uh what else is uh anything else people should keep an eye out for coming up they can catch peter um, smith in the always on the internet in the in there's the... something on instagram <laughs> all the time uh i would you still make potions i do make potions peter's potions yeah peter's potions yeah yeah my side business my ivy park which is beyonce's uh for those at home beyonce has a fashion line called ivy park <laughs> and this is my you know offshoot lifestyle brand called peter's potions wonderful i think i i follow on instagram that's how i know about it yeah i haven't posted in a long time but i that's well it's just secret clients that i have been sending things to well i just was reminded of that for some reason because i hadn't seen it in a little while but yeah, yeah. just holistic treasures for <laughs> you and yours that's that's when you go to montana that's going to be the shop that's it's yeah, Montana's going to have a... I mean, it, I, I think I said a glass church. There's going to be a glass church. There's going to be a gift shop. There's going to be, you know, a reading room. There's going to be a movie theater. I, my major plan is a Montana. Yeah. Gay as fuck compound. Mm-hmm. I have a friend whose family has property there. And this friend is always saying, you know, when my grandfather passes away, mm-hmm. that's the ranch. Hell yeah. We're all going to the mm-hmm. ranch. I just said, well, I'm you know, excited for keep, 2050. Keep me posted when your grandmother yeah. dies. 2050 is going to be a, I think there'll be a lot of queers out there being like, oh, hello, I've been living in San Francisco and waiting <laughs> to live here too. I'm excited for that. And all the locals are going to be upset about Brokeback Mountain still exactly. probably or something. Absolutely. But I did get a kick out. So my father goes in uh, the, the Madison River, I think yep. is big river in mm-hmm. Montana. My father's a big fly fisher, loves oh, yeah. fly fishing and goes out. Um, you know, on his kind of like personal journeys every summer goes and goes and fishes very, very fun, cool old guy. He, he really loves Montana. And, uh, I went out to visit him one time at it and the town that we were staying next to was called Ennis. Yes. I've been to Ennis and I just had a giggle cause I remembered that that was one of the characters from Brokeback Mountain. I thought, I wonder if the people from Ennis, our town's are, not faggot. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. But then they also get excited cause they're like, Oh, I've never heard someone else say the name of the town before. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a weird combination. Well, it's of... exciting because my dad's name is Dennis. 
Wow, so it's Dennis just drop the D. Ennis. Yeah. It's Dennis and Ennis. Um, I wouldn't be able to stop saying that if I were there. <laughs> it's probably best I wasn't. Uh, well, Peter, thank you so much for coming by Humor in the Abject. It was wonderful to get to talk to you, hear a little bit about your process and background and all that. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure everybody will appreciate hearing you speak. And please go out to the Bongo Hour on Wednesday, March 7th. Follow Peter on Twitter and Instagram, and I'm sure you'll get updates for future shows and Absolutely. opportunities, things like that. Uh, I'm a big fan of the the YouTube videos. Oh so yeah, check out the YouTube page. There's some wonderful, <laughs> some dark holes in there. Yeah, yeah. I love. I think YouTube is the funnest, the funnest social media platform in how terrifying it is because it's not people in your social circle who mm-hmm. always stumble across them and the. I get some pretty gnarly comments on mine. I've talked about that before. It's the Carolines of social media. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Uh, Well, uh, thanks, everybody. Uh, We will see you next week. I'm going to Montana to spend the winter. I hear the snows are deep up there and the winds are cold. Way out there, the blues will never find me. She don't love me anymore, so I'll be gone. Maybe I can find someone who cares about the man I am instead of clothes I wear. Cause I ain't taking nothing but my boots and jeans and a big old coat along.